0: Well, good morning, church, and uh, it is so glad to be with you. Um, it's been about four years since I have been here, and uh, so glad to be with you again today. And uh, But boy, I tell you what. Uh, I've been struggling the last 24 hours because I forgot how much red you people have around this town. Lord have mercy. Somebody help me, right. And uh, I go in my hotel room last night and they got a big blow up of Ugga or whatever you all call that ugly bulldog, right. And, and And then, you know, there's red all over the place and people are wearing red. And listen. The Vols may have lost last night, but let me tell you something. after I left the wedding, I put on my orange, I wore my orange here, and I wore my orange this morning, rocky top till I die, baby, all right that's commitment right there, devotion right there. And uh, listen, uh, this morning, I was thinking, Lord, I need your spirit to come upon me because all this red is just, is just coming after me, and so I walked down into the hotel lobby, and I want to show you this picture. We got the Tennessee softball team in the lobby, baby. And <laughs> And uh, I thought, man, the Lord has sent an angel army before me, right? They, they are in this hotel room. And I went up to them and my wife was like, don't do it, don't do it. I said, I said, hey, I said, excuse me, ladies, I said, go Vols, Rocky Top. I said, I'm about to go to preach to a church of a bunch of Georgia people. I said, I got to take a picture so I can show them uh, who the true believers are, right? And so, um, but hey, I'm so glad to be with you. If you got a Bible, flip open to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 42 through 47. And uh, in Acts, right, in chapter 1, uh, Jesus is ascending back into heaven. So he's with his disciples for 40 more days. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then at the at the beginning of chapter 2, the, they're gathered in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls. If you remember, they begin to speak in all kinds of different languages. And people begin to ask, what's going on? What's happening? some people even accuse them of being drunk. And Peter steps forward and says, hey, let me tell you what's going on. Jesus is what's going on. On, He gives an invitation, 3,000 are added that day and then in 42 through 47 we see what they're doing and really what we're reading here uh, is, the, is the birth of the church and what they're doing and what they practice and how they function. And I want you to think through this today, I'm not going to give you anything uh, crazy profound, uh, these are things you know, these are things that are already being practiced here, I mean you have a great, great great church you can just feel the spirit in this room and uh, but I think it's always a good reminder for us and today I want to encourage you and I want us to look at what were these people doing in Acts 2 42 through 47 what was the church doing and then I want us to think through this what would people say about the people of Watkinsville First Baptist Church and what would they write down about what they did or what they do And from generations to go and for years to go, what would be written down about how they lived their lives and what they did? So let's start in verse 42. This is what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being done, performed through all the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I want us to just look at five things from this passage. There's other things that we can look at, but I want us to look at five things we see they're doing. And number one this morning, and, and maybe today, if you're taking notes, if you want to put a title, uh, maybe you just write down the kind of church every generation needs. The kind of church every generation needs. And then number one this morning, I want to start with this: is they were a people devoted to the word of God. They were a people devoted to the word of God. I, I want you to look back at the beginning of verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You say, what is the apostles teaching? Well, I I want to remind you at this time and day, there is no printing press, so they can't just mass produce Bibles and hand them out to everybody at this time and day. The apostles are teaching what they learned from Jesus and what Jesus taught them and Jesus taught them the scriptures and they're teaching the scriptures and they're gathering together to hear the teaching of the word of God. And I want you to think they're, they're gathering, they're devoted to this. Not only are they meeting in the temple, but then they're meeting home to home. But they're gathering together, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're devoted to the word of God. I'll never forget one time being in high school and going to Haiti. And while I was in Haiti, uh, they told me how some of the people would start a church. And they'd take a pastor and they place him at a what they called was a preaching post. And people would walk for miles in the hot sun and they would gather around this post and the guy who was there would open up and he would begin to teach the word of God to these people who had walked for miles to this post in the ground. Now if you've ever been to Haiti, you know that especially at certain times of year in the summer, it is scorching hot. And these people are gathered around outside hearing the word of God taught. And I remember thinking to myself, man, look at the devotion that some of these people have willing to walk for miles, to stand outside, to hear the teaching of the word of God. And it's only until they have enough people where they can gather up enough resources do they take that pole and they turn it into a space where they can gather inside and meet together. And I began to think to myself about America at times, and I began to think about times where it's like when the AC out, hey pastor, I'm going to stay home, the AC out, just send me the live stream. You know, hey pastor, it's raining today, I'm just going to stay home. You know, I, I just began to think of some of the excuses sometimes we come up with to not gather corporately to hear the teaching of the Word of God. And I began to think how these people were devoted to walk from miles, to stand in the sun, to gather around to hear the teaching of the Word of God. But I also want you to think about this. Today we do have access to the Word of God. And you can get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I, I, someone here will give you a Bible. They have Bibles to give you. You can have access to the Bible. And so I want to ask you as well, how devoted are you privately to to getting into the Word of God in your private life. Um, I, I want to do this. Can we have a little fun this morning? Um, everybody just stand up right where you're at. Just go ahead and stand up. If you were asleep, you just woke up, all right? Boom. I'm coming after you today. And, uh, and here's what I want to do. All right. If you say today that you can say a verse for every year that you've been alive... Then in a moment, on the count of three, stay standing. So if you're 80, you can say 80 verses. If you're five, you can stay five verses. If you're 30, you can stay 30 verses. Say 30 verses, um, and then I may come around with a microphone, and we'll see if you can actually do it. All right, all right. So so here we go. All right, a verse for every year that you've been alive. On the count of three, stay standing. One, two, three. Go ahead, stay standing if you can do it. Okay, um, good, good. All right. Now here's the good news. I'm not actually going to come around with a microphone today. Um, so you guys can grab a seat real quickly. But, but I want you to think about this. Now some of you may have said, hey, Sam, I, I can say a verse for every year that I've been alive. I just didn't want to stay standing and I really didn't want to say it in a microphone. Um, but I'll be honest, even this morning I, I have to search myself and think, through, can, can I say a verse for every year that I've been alive? And, and I want you to think through this. As in Psalm 119, 9-11 says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we're not getting into the word and we're not letting the word get into us, then how can it ever be hidden in our hearts so that we might not sin against God? And and listen to me too, you know, think about it. The devil is the father of lies. He's going to lie, 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 and lie some more. That's what he's done from the beginning of time. That's what he's doing today. That's what he's going to do. He runs the same play over and over again. Look at the Garden of Eden. What does he do? He starts with saying, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat of this tree? What's he doing in that moment? He's questioning God's authority. He's questioning what God had already intended. And then he says, hey, you won't surely die. Well, they would die spiritually, and they'd have to leave the presence of God. And even from the beginning, he's lied, and, and he's the father of lies. And you and I are going to have the lies of this world and the lies of the enemy coming after us. And if we don't know the truth of God's word, how will we know what is the truth and what is the lie? How will we be able to discern? And even more, we're living in a day and age where people are beginning to take the Bible and pick and choose what they want and take the parts out that they want instead of standing on the word of God. What we need to do is get into the word of God, search the word of God, and say, what does it say? It doesn't care how I feel about it. It doesn't care what about culture says about it. It doesn't care what politics about it. What does the word of God say? And the reason this is important is if we don't stand on the word of God, then what do we have to stand on? You, you want to start pulling pieces out, it turns into a domino effect where then eventually you have nothing left to stand on. A- and this is so vital because think about this. In your own life, in your own personal walk, you, you're going to have lie after lie come after you. I want to remind you, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1-11. through 11, I don't have time today, but go read it sometime. Jesus is tempted by the devil. And three times the devil comes after Jesus. And three times Jesus replies with the words, it is written. Why did he reply with it is written? written? He's quoting scripture back at the enemy. He's quoting scripture back at the devil. Three times he's tempted. Three times he replies with it is written. Every time a lie is coming, he's hitting the enemy back with truth. And I just wonder in our lives today, do we have the word of God in us so deeply that when the lies come, we can say, no, 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 devil, it's written. You can lie all you want, but I already know the truth. I already know what God says. Like when you say I'm not good enough, I know that it's already written in Romans 8, 1 that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like when you tell me that God's forsaken me, I know That Deuteronomy 31.6 says that the Lord has not forsaken me and he goes with me and he will not leave me nor forsake me. Like when you come at me, enemy, and you tell me that nobody loves me, I already know that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That when you come at me with a lie and say, just take one look, just, just flirt with that lady in the office. I know Job thirty-one-one says, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully upon a young woman. When you come at me, enemy, and tell me that I've lost, that I can't win, then I can look back at you and say, I already know how the story ends. You may bite my heel, but through Jesus Christ's strength and the power of God Almighty, we will crush your head. But if we don't know the truth, we can't fight back. I want to encourage you, may it always be said that the people of Watkinsville said, hey, we we are people that are devoted to the Word of God. And man, we get in the Word of God. We stand on the Word of God. And no matter as the time changes, no matter as the culture changes, no matter what was politically correct or incorrect, we stood on the Word of God. You'll find things that are hard to understand. And you'll find things that don't always line up with your feelings. But that's where you got to say, God, would you allow me to trust your word and cling to your word and hold to your word? Number two, this morning, look at this. Um, they were a people devoted to doing life together. Look at, look at what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. I think my version would say, to the fellowship. And to the breaking of chips and salsa and queso and guacamole and burritos and enchiladas. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Who wants some Mexican food this morning, right? And, uh, you know, the breaking of bread, I'm gonna, I, I, need, I need a little bit more bread, you know. And, but what, what is it saying to the fellowship and the breaking of bread? Here, here's what I really think they're saying. Man, they're doing life together. They're spending time with one another. They're fellowshipping together. They're eating together. Look Later it says they met in the temple and then they met from home to home. I want you to understand something, that if you come in this building and you stay for a few worship songs and you stay for the word, that is great. But if you leave and you go back and you never do anything else, you're missing out on what church really is. Church is so much more than an hour on Sunday morning. Church is gathering and it's living out the, as the body of Christ and it's caring for one another, it's crying for one another, it's doing life together, it's showing up with meals when people need it, it's showing up at the hospital when people need it, it's mowing people's yards when people need it, it's having a good time together and watching games together except for the Georgia Bulldogs because the Lord may not bless you in that and and, and, it's, and it's laughing together, enjoying weddings and, enjoy, and, and, then, and then having moments of sorrow at funerals together. It's so much more than just coming and dispersing. You know what this is? This is the big time huddle right here. This is where we come together to say, hey, let's remind everybody what we're about, what our mission is, what our purpose is. Let's get a word from God. Let's get some worship in us and praise the Lord. Let's get refreshed. And then let's go play the game. The church is not a building. It's the people of God on mission for God. It's a whole lot easier for us to realize this when they didn't really have places except for homes. And then they're being persecuted later on and have to hide and have to go all these different directions. If the church was a building at that time and place, we're done for. And and I just want to remind you this morning that also don't miss the unity that they have. Like they're unified. The enemy loves to not only lie but also to divide. And he would love nothing more than to have someone on this side of the room against someone on this side of the room and bringing other people on each side and bringing each other against each other. Whether it's something about COVID, whether it's something about politics, whether it's something totally separate altogether. And you've got to remember that He would love to divide and then isolate and then get you on your own and no longer a part of the body of Christ. You know, I, I mean, you know, COVID's a great example. And I can say this because I'm a guest, but how many people called me over the last year, hey, you need to open the doors? Hey, you need to close the doors? Hey, you need to open the doors? Hey, you need to close the doors? I'm like, I love you both. But somebody's going to be mad on either side. Why don't we love each other? Why don't we show grace to one another? Why don't we care for one another during this time? Why don't we pray for one another at this time? Why don't we show the world the unity of Christ during this time instead of shouting on either side? Mask or no mask, who cares? You're a brother or sister of Christ. Vaccine or no vaccine, you're a brother or sister in Christ. Listen, we serve a lamb that was slain, not a donkey or an elephant. And Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God is our first allegiance and everything else falls underneath that. And some of us need to take a step back and say, there's so much more in common than there is apart. And how can we love each other? How can we show grace? And, And newsflash, can I just ask everybody, who has the answer anyways? You know what's so weird about a pandemic? You know, I told people, I'm like, you know what is just terrible about this whole thing? Is there's nobody that I can pick up the phone and say, hey, Ring, ring, ring. What did you do when the pandemic happened? They're all dead the last time we had one. I mean, so who really knows? (laughs) We won't know till one day later on. And I'm not making a statement either way. You won't know where I stand. (laughs) All I'm saying is, why let that come between us? There's things that are so much more important. Man, do life together. Number three, look at what it says. Um, Look at what it says, the apostles teaching the breaking of bread, fellowship, and to prayer. Look at what it says, they were a people devoted to prayer. All through the book of Acts, if you keep looking, you will see prayer over and over and over and over and over again. You'll see where they pray. I mean, just a few references if you want to jot some down. Acts 4.31, after they prayed, the place was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 6.6, before they sent people off, they presented them to the apostles. They prayed over them. You know, all throughout the Bible you'll see prayer. Why was Daniel thrown in the lion's den in the first, first place? Because he wouldn't give up his prayer life. He wouldn't give up his communication to God. So he said, hey, if that costs me being thrown in the lion's den, go, go be it. Because I'm not giving up my communication with God. I'm not giving up my lifeline. I'm not giving up my prayer life. You know, look at, look at even James five seventeen. I love this verse. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Many of us know this verse, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear their cry from heaven and heal their land. Think about this, Luke five sixteen. Listen to what it says. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You know what I think when I read that? If Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray, how often does Sam Landreth need to withdraw to lonely places and pray? If Jesus, the son of God, had a prayer life and spent time intentionally praying with God, how much more do we need to be praying with God? And I just want to ask us this morning too, how devoted are we to prayer? Like how important is our prayer life? Are we spending times intentionally on our knees? Are we spending time calling out to God Almighty, falling on our face, falling before Him? You know, uh, there was a there was a story of a young group from Wheaton College that went on a field trip to England, and they went in a house that was John and Charles Wesley house, which John and Charles Wesley were huge in the Great Awakenings. They were leaders in England and the U.S. during that time that saw great movements of God. And while they were in that house, um. They began to leave and the professor noticed, hey, we're missing a student. And he began to look around and he couldn't find the student. So he went, he's looking around, but finally he found the student. And the student was in John Wesley's room where it says that John Wesley spent most of his time where he got up at 4 a.m. and would pray every morning. And the student was on his knees and he was praying, oh, Lord, do it again. Oh, Lord, do it again. He's praying, he's crying out to God Almighty, saying, oh Lord, would you do what you did through these guys? Would you do it again? Would we see another great awakening? Would we see a great revival? Would we see a great another move of God? That student's name was Billy Graham. Many of us remember Billy Graham in the stadiums and seeing scores of people come to know Christ. You know what we never really got to see? His prayer life. And I just wonder, how many times was Billy Graham on his knees saying, oh, Lord, do it again. Oh, Lord, bring revival. Oh, Lord, do a great work. Oh, Lord, do something mighty. Oh, Lord, do something great that I can't do myself, that only you can do. You'll never see a great movement of God without first great movements of prayer. You know, probably if, it was probably six months ago, we were in a worship service. And I look over and my pastor is down on the ground. We're Baptist, but we're a little Babdecostal. And uh, and he's down, and no lie, he is down, face down on the ground. And we're in the last worship song. And I had a couple thoughts. Number one, I'm like, I hope this brother's okay. Because then it goes through my mind, if he don't get up, I'm next in line. And I ain't got no message this morning. So I'm like, get up, get up, get up. And but then I started thinking, man, I, I don't know what's going on. But I know he's about to get on stage to preach the word of God. And, and I don't know what the issue is, but I know right now he's just getting low before God Almighty and crying out to him. Well, a few weeks later, we had a situation at church that involved a student that we were dealing with. And there's some situations where you realize there's nothing I can say, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to fix this. All I can do is Pray. So we got a prayer clinic at our church and I came downstairs and I just got in the prayer clinic and I just got on my face before the Lord like this. And as I'm praying, the thought comes in my mind. What if somebody comes in here? Like, What are they going to think? And About as quick as that thought came into my mind, I felt God just like punch me in the face. <laughs> you ever have those moments where you're like, oh, God, really? And I heard God say this. He said, you're a pastor, and you're at church on a Sunday morning. People should see you on your face in prayer more than they ever see you preaching on a platform. See, when we're here, it's saying, God, do what we can't do. Do what only you can do. Do what Sam can't do. I, I don't want to see just the natural. And if I need the supernatural, I need God Almighty. And I need to be willing to get low before him. And it stuck with me. Because I thought, man, how willing am I to get low before God Almighty? Even as a pastor, not care what people think, not care what people might say, not care what might be going through their mind, but just fall before him and say, God, I need you. Oh, Lord, I need you. Number four this morning, I want you to look at it. Verse 45 says, they sold their possessions and property. And distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They were a people who were devoted to giving generously. I mean, I mean look at that again. They, they sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. We see this clear picture that they had open hearts and open hands with everything that was your, theirs to say, hey, however it needs to be used for the kingdom of God, we'll put it up. We'll be willing to give it up. We'll be willing to hand it over. We'll be willing to turn it over. My dad used to tell this story um, and, and of me and him at McDonald's. Anybody love McDonald's in the room? Praise the Lord for the golden arches, right? And uh, I had McDonald's two times in the last two days, I got to confess. And uh, I left a ball game on Friday night. I was watching a high school game. And I just got that craving, man. I was like, I need a hot fudge Sunday. And then the hot fudge Sunday turned into a large fry. And then the large fry turned into a cheeseburger. And, uh, and then I asked for some buffalo sauce. So I'm probably going to be dead by I'm 30, you know, but... Uh, and then and the Saturday morning I was driving here and I stopped and I got some of those burritos, those breakfast burritos. And uh, but, uh, you know, so so again, if I if you come to my funeral, it was probably McDonald's. But praise the Lord for the Golden Arches, right? I mean, it's a great place. Those fries when they're hot and seasoned, so good, right? And, and I love just, I don't even know if they still do it now, but I love when you went up with a little ketchup container and just I, I can't stand the packets. I'm like, I need some room to dip right here, you know, like. Come on, and somebody. and uh, but, but, So we were at McDonald's, and I was probably five or six at the time. And uh, he, got, he got us two meals, and so uh, he finished his meal first. And so he reaches in for some of my fries. And at five or six years old, I slapped his hand away. I said, no, sir, you ain't coming in on my fries, right? <laughs> and, uh, and I slapped his hand away coming in for my fries. And when he used to tell the story, he'd say, who does he think he is? Like I bought his meal. I could buy him more fries than he could ever imagine. I could rain fries on his head. I could buy him all the fries he could ever want. And he's going to slap my hand away. But I want to ask you this this morning. How different is that of us with God sometimes? That God has given us anything that we have. He could give us more than we could ever imagine. And when God reaches in and says, hey, I want you to give 10%. I say, no, God, I'm, I'm good. 10% is too much. When God reaches in and says, hey, I want you to give to to this ministry going on over here. No, God, I'm good. Hey, I want you to give so this orphan uh, can be cared for and have a meal. No, no, God, I'm good. How often do we forget that God has given us everything that we have? And he could give us more than we could ever imagine. And so often we're slapping his hand away. I want to encourage you. could, Could you always be people that say, man, we have open hearts and open hands to say, we'll give generously. Give generously. Number five this morning. I'm going to close with this. But they were a people devoted to taking others with them on the journey of following Jesus. They were a people devoted to taking others with them on the journey of following Jesus. Look at verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Listen to it again. Praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people, every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I think a few things happened here. I think number one, God said this was the way I I desired church to look like, I desired church to be, so I'm going to bless this, I'm going to bless it, and so it's going to continue moving. I think number two, as they began to get in the word of God and were devoted to that, as they were devoted to doing life together, as they were devoted to praying together, as they were devoted to giving generously, the world said, man, they look different. Something different is about them. uh, We don't know what it is, but something different's going on. And as that began to happen, and as they began to do these things, you know what happened? They no longer conformed to the patterns of the world, but they were transformed, and they looked different when they went out. And the world said, we need whatever they have. And then number three, I think as they did these things, they fell more in love with Jesus. And as they fell more in love with Jesus, they could not stop telling other people about Jesus. The more you love something, the more you shout it from the rooftops. The the more you deeply fall in love with something, the less you are ashamed of it. And I want you to think about this. The the disciples, the ones who were left, nobody would have messed with them if they just kept silent about Jesus. The reason uh, John was exiled to an island and the rest of them were killed is because they kept proclaiming, Jesus is alive. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. Repent and believe in Jesus. They kept shouting it. They kept telling everybody they saw. Look right after this in Acts chapter 3. Someone saying, hey, can I have some silver or gold? And what did Peter and John say? They say, silver or gold we do not have, but what we do have is Jesus. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. I love it. That's their first response. Hey, what we do have is Jesus. And I want us to think about this, man. They kept shouting about Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. There's always one more person that needs to be brought into the family of God. There's always one more person who needs to hear the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's always one more person who's lost and on their way to eternity in a real place called hell who desperately needs to know the goodness of God. And not only that, they might be in a living hell right now. And they need the truth to set them free. You know, just recently we launched a a campus in Nashville... And it's different, we're in the suburbs, and, and then Nashville's in the city, and like we, we met this girl the other day that moved from New York City, and she takes the bus everywhere, and I'm like, you don't have a car, like you just take the bus everywhere? I'm like, I need a pickup truck, like, it ain't going to work for me. And, but she walks down, and she's been walking down to church with us, and there was this guy named Tristan who walked down the street, he moved from California, 21, comes in, and, uh, and sits through service, talks to us after, we said, hey man, we got a college young adult Bible study, the very next night, why don't you come back and join us? So he comes back and joins us. I preached that night, and afterwards we're talking in the back, and we're just having a conversation. And and for some reason, it doesn't always happen, but it just dawned on me, hey, I need to ask this guy if he has a relationship with Jesus. And I just said, hey, Tristan, I said, let me ask you something. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? And his reply was this. He said, man, I, I really want to, but I just feel like something's always been blocking it. And then from there, we went all the way from Genesis and we walked through the gospel. And, and then he accepted Jesus to be his Lord and Savior that night. I loved his reply. We got to the end of it. I said, hey, I said, man, you can pray to accept Jesus right here if you want to. You want to? And he goes, oh, man, why would I wait? <laughs> I was like, yes, sir. And, and right there, we huddled up. We prayed. He accepted Jesus. And now in his apartment complex, that's right down the street from the church that he walks down from. We're starting a, a life group in that apartment complex in the open common space. And he's on fire. I was texting him yesterday, ready to learn more and grow up in Jesus and learn more. It's a guy who hadn't been to church in four or five years from California, living on his own, who didn't come back to church because he saw something messy and said, I don't want any more of that. I just wonder who else is out there. Like who else needs to be asked the question, do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not have you been baptized. Not do you go to church. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? I'll never forget in Cleveland, Pastor Carlos mentioned Cleveland. Cleveland's an interesting place, Cleveland, Tennessee. Um, I've never seen more churches, banks, and Mexican restaurants in, in a smaller area in my life. It's like someone said, hey, we need churches, banks, and Mexican restaurants. Everything else can be left out, but let's put as many as we can right here. Everywhere, on every corner. And this girl had moved down, and she was coming to church with us. And uh, then she, she came to know uh, Jesus. And uh, so, so, so you remember the moment... Like, like either when you accepted Jesus Christ, where it was all fresh, like it was all new, like you truly understood the gospel for the first time and the goodness of God for the first time, or, or maybe you experienced it with somewhere else, someone else, and, and that moment where it was so fresh, where you truly understood, man, Jesus died for me, Jesus cared for me that much, Jesus rose again three days later, Jesus will come in my life, and it was so fresh, I mean, you're ready to sing, you know, Jesus loves me, yes, he does, you know, Jesus loves me, how about you, or however it goes, you know, and you're ready to storm the gates of hell with a water pistol, I don't think that's how it goes, but we well, keep going I I mean I mean you're you're just on fire you're like Jesus like you you remember those moments when you get back from church camp and you're just ready to run laps around the city just shouting Jesus you know and 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 we're just you're just on fire that's the way this girl was man it was so fresh it was so new Can, can I just encourage you don't ever lose the newness of the gospel like let it taste sweeter and let it taste better every single day because you realize how unworthy you are and how worthy he is. How ungreat you are and how great and mighty he is. How undeserving you are and how deserving of praise and glory and honor he is. But this girl, man, it was so fresh in her life. And I'll never forget, she goes, I just have one question. And, you know, we're like, oh, okay, good, we can, we can answer this. And, you know, probably people in the room, I was in the room, they, they told me this story, the pastor of the church. And I, I'm thinking she's going she's gonna, to, you know, ask a question about salvation or, or something about the Bible. Or she's going to be like that one middle schooler that's always like, hey, so what happened to the dinosaurs? I'm like, come on, man. Like, every time. You know, but she, she asked this question, and I'll never forget it. She said, I just don't understand. She said, why did it take so long for somebody to tell me? Why did it take so long for somebody to tell me? And I've never forgot that question in the back of my head. Let me ask you today. Would you have a coworker that said, man, you went to church every Sunday. You knew the truth of God's word. You knew the gospel. You sang praise songs. And you knew all this. You had it on your car. But why did it take you so long to tell me about Jesus Christ? Would you have somebody on your college campus that said, man, I knew you were about Jesus, but why didn't, I didn't think it was that important. Why didn't you ever tell me? Why didn't you share it with me? Why didn't you ask me if I had a relationship? Why didn't you tell me if it was such good news? I mean, would somebody say to you in your family, man, we were together at every family reunion, and you knew I was broken. You knew I was lost. You knew I was searching. Why did it take you so long to tell me? I just want to encourage you. Always one more person that needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to close this way today. And it may be a little bit different. Jason's going to begin to play in the background. And, uh, you know, but but here's how I want to pray. There's no song at the end. He's just going to play in the background. You know, we just read about the church and the kind of church every generation needs. And what's so great about your church is you're doing all, all these things and so much more. And you have pastors who pray for you and different staff people who pray for you. But I just wonder how many Sundays do we ever just take just to pray for the church itself? Like how many Sundays of the year do we just take to come before the altar and pray for our staff, to pray for Pastor Carlos, to pray for our leadership, to pray for each other and to pray for our community. And this morning in just a moment after I pray, I'm going to get on my knees right here. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to begin to pray for your church. And what I'm going to ask you to do is to join me. And to come pray for your church. I'm going to ask you to pray specifically for your leadership, your pastor, and your staff. I want you to pray for one another. And then I want you to pray for your community. And pray for those around you. And, uh, and you may be saying, you know, hey, you know, I don't, I'm not comfortable. If you're not comfortable, maybe pray in your seats. But I'm going to ask some of you to be willing to come to the altar. And, you know, come on, don't make me come back up here and give the second Baptist thing. You know, come on down, come on down and get here. And pray. Just, let's just pray today. Like if it's real to us. Can we just get before the altar of God and say, God, would we be this kind of church? God, would this be what people write about us? Would this be what people say about us? God, would you, would you give our pastors fresh vision and fresh energy and a fresh spirit and renew them more than they've ever been? God, would you help us to be unified more than we've ever been and love each other more than we've ever been? God, would you be with Watkinsville and Athens? And Lord, would you stir in the hearts of people right now who aren't even in this room yet? Right now, would you begin to stir in their heart and begin to make them start asking questions, what is the meaning of life? What am I going to do? So that's, that's what I'm asking us to do today. So let's just pray. pray. And then after I pray, if you're willing, I'm going to ask you just to come before the altar and pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you right now. And God, we thank you for the church. And God, right now, I just want to pray for this church. I want to pray for the leadership, the staff. I want to pray for the people, Lord. I want to pray for everyone that's involved. Lord, thank you for this church and how they're making a difference. Lord, I pray that you'd be with Pastor Carlos right now and I pray that you'd be with his staff. Lord, I pray after a year of COVID that you'd give them fresh energy, that you'd you'd fill them afresh with the Holy Spirit. God, would you let them be more fired up than they've ever been? Would you let them see more clear than they've ever been able to see? Lord, would you let them follow you more? Would they follow you more than they ever have? And Lord, would they cling to you and lean into you and press into you? And God, would you do a work in their life in this season? God, I pray for the people of this church. God, thank you for their hearts. Thank you for their willingness. God, would you renew knew that that gospel moment that was so fresh, that was so real at the moment. God, would we not forget your goodness? Would we not forget your grace? Would we not forget your mercy? Would we not forget your love? And God, would we love you and worship you and praise you and pray to you and get in your word more than we ever have, Lord Jesus. And Lord, right now, we pray for this community. Lord, we pray for those in Watkinsville and those in Athens and those all around who are not here yet, Lord Jesus. God, I'm praying for stories of new people coming to faith that we're celebrating with cheers of victory when they get in that baptistry and they're saying, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm praying for people to be saved and then grown up in their salvation, to be new leaders on this campus, wholehearted disciples of Jesus Christ. Lord, we're praying, Lord, would we press into you and would you pour your spirit out over us? Lord, would we be a church that people look and say, we can't explain it. We just know that God was present and God was there. Lord, we give it all to you today. Lord, come and do what only you can do in Jesus' name.